Welcome back to another episode of Money Talks. This is Hugh Meyer. Hope you're doing well. Remember, we are connecting thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and business experts to you, the small business owner and entrepreneur. Today, really excited to have my guest. He's the CEO and founder of Carver Edison in New York, Aaron Shapiro. Carver Edison is a revolutionary startup that is helping the world of employee stock participation. In this episode, we're going to learn more about Aaron's background, the genesis of Carver Edison, and how it's revolutionizing what is going on with employee stock participation plans and small business owners. Again, remember, always like and subscribe to the YouTube channel and enjoy this episode. Thank you. Aaron, welcome to the Money Talks podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here. Same here. It was really great to to, uh, to connect with you and start learning a little bit more about what you your background and what you're working on right now with Carver Edison. Really excited to get into it. So without further ado, why don't we tell the audience a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm Aaron. I'm the founder and CEO of Carver Edison. Uh, I actually come from the institutional investing world. I, 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 um, I went to Babson, small little business school up in Boston, and right out of Babson was uh, lucky enough to get hired as the first employee at a startup investment shop uh, in New Haven, Connecticut, where we invested for nonprofits, endowments, and foundations. Um, so while I was there, we took the firm from $150 million to over $4 billion in assets under management. And really, what we spent all of our time doing was scouring the world for interesting ways to uh, invest on behalf of uh, some of the world's greatest mission-led organizations. And, and for me, I've always been really interested in how to use finance to solve real problems in the real world for, for ordinary people. Um, and that was such a great opportunity and learning experience for me um, to really get to not only learn how to build an organization, but at the same time, um, how to use finance as a means to impact the world and create change. Um, so it was actually while I was, uh, while I was up in Connecticut that, uh, my mom, who's a 30 year employee for a big publicly traded company, sat me down one day and said, Hey, Aaron, you're a finance guy. I need help making some more money. Can you help me? And I said, I don't know. What are the choices? <laughs> and she hands me this like 40 page PDF that explains this thing at work that she has called an employee stock purchase plan. And at the time I was running back and forth looking at ways to invest in interesting things for, for nonprofits. And I was, I was reading this 40 page document. I'm like, wait a second, this is the opportunity anyone in the institutional world would kill to have access to. Because basically the way employee stock purchase plans work is you get to buy stock at a 15% discount off the lower of the starting or the ending price in a six month period. So if you think about a company whose stock price maybe on January 1st is $100, and by June, it's at 200, you get to buy at a 15% discount off that 100 from six months ago, which is insane. And it doesn't really exist anywhere else in the capital markets. Um, So I started looking at this. And as I started to do more work, I realized that in my mom's case, um, her not being able to participate in her company stock plan cost her over a million dollars over the course of 10 years. And, and, for us growing up in a small little, uh, uh, small little apartment in Queens, um, that's a life-changing amount of money. Yes. And the problem wasn't necessarily that she didn't know about it uh, or anything like that. It was just that the, in order to participate, you had to be able to afford the payroll deductions. And these are after-tax payroll deductions. Right. And a place like in New York or San Francisco and increasingly anywhere in between, that's really hard to do. 
Um, so I, I set out on, on really a crusade to build sort of a new generation of financial products that would both make it possible for employees everywhere to finally have access to really what could be a life-changing opportunity, but to do it in a way that at the same time was really shareholder friendly so that the biggest employers in America could go to their shareholders with a really straight face and say, we're doing this not just because it's good for our employees, but because it's actually good for shareholders at the same time, which especially with, with everything happening in the world um, is a really important combination. And, and one of the things I'm most proud of is kind of how we've led the way to build sort of a, a new generation of, uh, of technology that actually proves that the two can be done at the same time and they can be done really effectively. Wow. That, thank you for that. That was a tremendous uh, beginning to this. Uh, you you uh, obviously have a crystal ball there because you were answering questions that I hadn't asked, uh, one of which was going to be, you know, what you had learned, kind of what you took from your, your, first, uh, your first job working for that great firm and what you had learned from that, which you clearly you described and how you learned and you were able to, you know, build upon that you know, how to build a culture within your own organization and then kind of taking that and obviously molding that with, you know, the issue that came up with your mom. And now here you are um, with something that's, you know, obviously very powerful and, and impactful to so many people. Um, and yeah, and, and and thank you for describing. I was going to ask, you know, for the people who don't know what an ES, you know, employee stock purchase plan is, thank you for, for delving into that. It's important that we at least get an understanding of kind of what, what you're going after as far as what you're trying to improve upon. So thank you yeah, for that. And maybe for your listeners as well, I, I can shed a little bit of historical context because the Please. history piece of ESPPs is actually is really cool and also really interesting. So let's rewind the clock to 1964. So 1964, wealth inequality is soaring in the 10 years leading up to 1964, the equity markets had returned about 10% a year uh, on an annualized basis. If we go back from today, 10 years back, equity markets have returned about 10% a year uh, annualized for the past 10 years. So 1964 comes around, uh, civil rights issues are at the forefront and at the same time, wealth inequality is a huge issue. So Johnson, as part of his, what was called war on poverty at the time, creates uh, a piece of legislation that includes employee stock, per uh, employee stock purchase plans, Medicare and Medicaid. Because what the president, at the time in Congress realized was that in order to really solve wealth equality, you had to do th two things. You had to create a you have to create a safety net for people, right. but you also have to create growth opportunities. So in 1964, median household income was about $6,000 a year. So Congress creates this thing called an employee stock purchase plan that lets employees of publicly traded companies contribute $25,000 to buying stock at a discount. Now the median household income is $6,000. So what they did very intentionally was to prove a really powerful point. They said, we have no idea how you're ever going to contribute $25,000 if median household income is 6,000, but we think this is the right lever right. to help solve wealth and wealth inequality, which it was. But what happened over time is through a combination of sort of market and regulatory uh, factors, employee stock purchase plans, Kind of fell by the wayside. They they kind of they got buried under all the other stuff that was happening in the world. And when you look at uh, the piece of the tax code that was created in 1964 today, it's exactly the same as it was back then. 
which is crazy because as you think about all the amazing changes that's happened in the world since the 60s, employee stock purchase plans are stuck in the past. So uh, as, as everyone thinks about the historical context of employee stock purchase plans, these things are really America's first modern financial benefit that was implemented and designed by Congress to be that powerful wealth building opportunity for America's working class that for one reason or another structurally works, but never really caught on because it got buried under the dust of all the other things happening in the world. And um, especially with where the world is today, um, what we're really doing is, is we're bringing employee stock purchase plans certainly into the modern age, but we're really helping fulfill the initial vision of Congress from 1964 to give that powerful wealth building opportunity that employee stock purchase plans were always meant to be um, to America's working class and beyond. Yeah. I mean, thank you for that. That was a, a tremendous uh, background, if you will, of, as far as where this all started and what the goals were of the administration at that time. And ironically, you know, we're, we're, there are some similarities to what's going on now. And you would certainly think that is going to light the fire in, you know, corporations that have these plans to, re, you know, to reach out to you. Uh, and, and figure out how do we, you know, make this a reality? How do we create efficiencies? How do we educate? Because that's that's a huge part of all this. You and I were just talking off camera about people understanding and having a background and an education for what does that mean to me? Because if it doesn't, you know, if it's not hitting them or me, there's there's a meaning to them or they don't understand. Then, like you said, it gets buried under all of these plans and programs that the government keeps putting out, and yet. You know, you to that point about your mom at the beginning about the amount of wealth that she unfortunately was not able to participate in. This is immensely important. Yeah, and I think from our perspective, and we're lucky to to work with with some of America's greatest employers. But from our perspective, one of the things that was so important from a design perspective, just building it into the DNA of our product, was really a couple core principles. Which is number one that employees always have to be better off. No matter what happens, markets go up, markets go down, whatever. Employees all, always have to be better off. Number two, that we have to advance the goals of management teams because one of the things that, that always tends to happen, especially in a world where people are increasingly busy and, 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 and uh, corporate goals uh, become ever, ever more challenging, is we want to give management teams of companies a, a way to enhance their performance by doing good things for their workforce. Uh, and number three, we wanted to do it in a really shareholder friendly way right. because for so long, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of talk about um, putting some of, uh, of these amazing programs into place. But what it kind of always comes down to is the shareholder economics of it. A lot of, uh, there are a, a lot of amazing programs out there um, for employees of companies kind of of all sizes, hard part about it is they're really expensive. Yep. And ultimately, um, especially when you're a publicly traded company, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders. So from a philosophy perspective for us, it was really important that we kind of bake all of these elements into uh, our product. And I, I think what we've seen, uh, especially over the past couple months, is when you put that all together, um, it's a really powerful combination that finally gives some of America's greatest companies 
uh, a path forward. And uh, what that unlocks is an entire world of opportunity um, that can change people's lives. I mean, we had we had someone write into us the other day um, who's over 80 years old, who's still working, making um, you know a couple dollars an hour, who, who wrote into us and said, "Hey, this is the first time in my life I've ever been able to afford stock." And for us, it's about so much more than that. It's about the network effect of what happens right. behind that. And, and I know this uh, from personal experience, because I mean, I, I grew up riding the subway back and forth in, in New York City. When you look around on the subway and think about all the people uh, that are just going to and from work every day, it's not about necessarily the impact you can make for them. It's about the next degree behind that, where the people like my mom riding to, to work every day on the subway for years and years had kids at home who ultimately like being able to just have this opportunity that was designed for her um, can make all the difference in the world. So uh, we're really, really uh, proud of sort of the work we've done. And I think probably even prouder to do it with some of the greatest organizations in the country who have not only the willpower and the ambition to bring these things to life, but are really excited about it. And um, it's really just been so cool to, to uh, take this crazy thing from really a, a sketch in a notebook uh, all the way up to, um, to some of the greatest companies in the country. Ah, fantastic. Uh, you know, kudos to you guys and you and your team. Um, Cause you, you, you really talk about something very important, which is, you know, culture and you guys have clearly have really built a, an amazing one at that who, you know, to really understand, you know, what's the best way we can deliver our value proposition to these companies and have that, you know, we, we talk about that network effect, how important that is and how powerful it is out there, especially now with all of these amazing, you know, fintech companies coming online, they're, they really understand what that, what the network effect is and how it can be so beneficial to, you know, helping is, many people as possible. Um, so yeah, thank you. Completely. And, I, and I'd say we're really lucky to stand on the shoulders of all the fintech founders who've come before us. Cause I mean, when you think about um, Betterment and Acorns and some of the others who were launching at the height of 2008, they really, uh, they provided a playbook. And as you think about sort of the impact that these fintech companies have had. I mean, you had the, the betterments and the acorns of the world start in 2008 and create this new class of products so that the next time the world really fell apart, people would be ready for it. And what's so amazing uh, now in kind of hindsight, looking a year back at the start of COVID, it was a completely different ball game in 2008. Right. And I, obviously 2008 and the start of COVID are economically two really different things. But what happened I, I think for maybe the first time ever was you had people from all different walks of life who don't have advanced finance degrees who were engaged and who were making these amazing decisions by using some of these products that were created uh, at the height of the sort of the last financial crisis. Um, and it changed the game completely this time around. And it's one of the things that's so exciting about just the broader FinTech ecosystem where so much of um, so much of the groundwork has been laid, and the way I, I, I kind of always talk about it is um, 
fintech 3.0, which is where I think we, we are right now, is fintech 1.0 was kind of the creation of the car to bring kind of the, the experience online, which was like the E-Trades of the world early on. Right. Fintech 2.0 was the betterments and the Acorns and the Robin Hood and, and kind of beyond who said, all right, let's build the highways now. Let's really make it possible for people to go places and do powerful things. And I think right now we're kind of in FinTech 3.0, which is let's start building the exits off the interstate and let's start building some amazing uh, communities um, that can solve all of these other different problems, which for a long time just haven't really been possible to solve because of technology or, or other constraints. So it, it's just, it's, it's certainly an honor to be part of the ecosystem, but I, I'd say life is actually probably a little bit easier for our generation of fintech entrepreneurs than it was for, for the folks who came before us who were building these amazing companies when no one had any idea what a fintech even was. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we're here to do is we're here to educate. And uh, yeah, I think that's a great uh, analysis as far as kind of the, the stages of fintech. And I'm sure your, your, your colleagues and other startups would probably agree that, you know, we're in this 3.0 phase and it's, as I said to you off camera, it's amazing. I, you know, I'm very fortunate to talk with people like yourself and other founders who are creating so many, you know, amazing, I, I, that's the word that keeps going, you know, incredible, you know, products and, and solutions to help people that a year ago, two years ago, weren't even, they weren't there. And it's like, it's like, it just, you know, last year we all want to forget it, but from the minds of all these founders and entrepreneurs in fintech, it was just kind of this explosion, if you will, of thought and product all coming together. And obviously we're in a very, you know, good environment, if you will, for venture where, you know, these, these investors are looking to help see these companies, but there's so many amazing ideas that are now coming to fruition that can help so many people. Yeah, completely. And I think, one of the remarkable learnings um, for the industry as a whole is as these products have gotten rolled out, what people are seeing is w what a lot of us have kind of known for a long time that uh, folks that might be on the lower end of the income spectrum or might not necessarily have advanced finance degrees are trying and they're trying really hard to get it right. right. But for so long, they haven't had the, the tools or the technology at their, at their disposal um, to make that happen. And it takes a long time to dig out from under that. I mean, credit card debt is a great example. It, it takes a really long time, especially if you have something maybe go wrong, a health issue, or, or you lose your job or something like that. And uh, I think we've done a really good job kind of leading the way uh, in sort of thoughtful uh, financial product design to make sure that when the world falls apart, people are actually more protected than um, would otherwise be the case. But I'd say across the ecosystem, there's a lot of great innovation happening uh, and we're, we're certainly lucky to be part of it. No question. So just maybe for a minute or two, talk about how does, you know, how does someone or, or a corporation you know, get connected to you? And then once that happens, what, and they want to move forward, what's kind of the process as far as, you know, implementation and, and, and what they're going to, you know, dive into, if you will, with, with, with your company? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're lucky uh, to have some amazing partners 
um, in the share plan administration uh, world, E-Trade, Morgan Stanley, Global Shares, and a few others as well. Um, and basically what our technology does is it sits on top of the, uh, the uh, existing share plan administration platform. I, I, a lot of people might, might actually not know this, but what ends up happening is when your company offers an employee stock purchase plan, there's usually a broker that's running that for your right. company. They're kind of like a record keeper. So our technology sits on top of the share plan administrators. And basically what happens is we're able to uh, make it possible for uh, the workforces of, of some of America's greatest employers to drive equity ownership for their workforce in a way that doesn't impact their existing process and delivers a ton of shareholder value, which uh, a lot of times, especially on the enterprise side of things, big complex companies have a, a lot of different constituencies that they right. have to account for. Um, and we've been really thoughtful in, um, in how we built our product and our platform uh, to remove a lot of that friction uh, for everyone involved, both on the corporate side and, and the employee side. And um, what's remarkable, uh, remarkable about it is um, we've been able to do it on a global scale, which, um, which I think people might lose sight of this sometimes. But the biggest companies in America don't just have employees here. They have employees around the world in right. 30, 40, 50 countries. So it's not necessarily just someone um, in maybe a management role in an office somewhere in the U.S. It's someone working in a call center in the Philippines or, or beyond. And everyone has access to these plans. And, and that's one of the reasons why they were created. So our impact um, is really at the shareholder level, it's at the corporate level for the management teams and the executives driving, uh, driving these initiatives internally. And it's for global employees because, and uh, I mean, I, as we think about our philosophy, our impact applies to people from all different walks of life, right. have all different purposes. And I, I know I'm sure you, th you think about this and see this a lot in your work every day. But the question is why, right? What is that why? And everyone's why is a little bit different. Right. Um, but for us, um, if we're able to unlock opportunity for, for people and families around the world, um, that's amazing. 100%. I mean, it is. It's, it's so impactful. And again, it comes back to just having that understanding and that education of knowing, you know, what this means to me and how this can impact my life. And you guys have a very clear you know, clear value proposition. So it's exciting to, to kind of watch this grow in front of our eyes and looking forward to, you know, continue to watch uh, all and learn, keep learning about your growth. So yeah, I, and I, uh, sorry, I, no, I just wanted to, to add one more thing there. I'd say it's also about access as well, yeah, because, yeah. because for, for a long time, education has been a really important part of the equation. And you can get as educated as you want, but at the end of the day, if you can't afford something, it doesn't matter how educated you are, you're not going to have access to it. So uh, removing that barrier, and, and there's a lot of great data uh, that our research team has done and, and put out there, removing that barrier for people not only changes behavior, but it also makes it possible for people to ride out market cycles, right. which and the robo-advising space has done a great job of it where it's just like, hey, you got to be patient, give it time. But what ends up happening is when things go wrong or people need money, 
they don't have the luxury of riding out the volatility of markets. So when things start to go south, um, they don't have the luxury of taking the risk of, of taking the, the time to ride it out. So it's been amazing to see, uh, especially in our data and some of the stuff we've shared publicly, how our impact has not only changed behavior, but also ultimately has provided people with, um, with this new luxury that they've never had before, just because they, they couldn't afford to use a product that was built for them. 100%. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite topics. I've, I've been lucky to interview some people about, uh, great people about, is kind of democratization of investments. And you're really seeing that kind of concept exp, you know, also explode in the last year where they, you know, people in different, whether it's alternative investments, especially, you know, they're trying to make it available to your point, you know, having that access available to everyone, not just accredited investors, if you will. But if you have the ability to make that investment and you're, you can educate yourself and you're comfortable with that, why not? Why, why is this only available to, you know, the, the one percenters, if you will? So that's an important point. Yeah. And especially, and especially when it comes to something like an employee stock purchase plan, where, where you're buying your company stock, yes, you're buying it at a, at a discount, but the stock price can still go down. One of the things that's so unique about cashless participation is it changes the risk equation completely. So in a regular employee stock purchase plan, the stock price would have to go down more than 15% before people start losing money on their investment. In most cases with cashless participation, the stock price would have to go down more than 50%, 5-0% before people start losing money on their investment, which is a complete game changer. But it wasn't by accident that that happened. That was a very thoughtful product design uh, choice that when I was building the product, I made sure to put in there so that people would ultimately have uh, the luxury of being able to ride out volatility. And again, that unlocks a ton of opportunity, not just from the corporate side of things, um, but for all the other people that, that get impacted by, um, by wealth creation. Excellent point. I, that's an important distinction and, and understanding. So thank you for, thank you for you know, talking that through. So I always like to, I spent so much time uh, asking so many questions of my guests. I always like to give the microphone to my guests and give them the opportunity to ask me a question. Um, so the mic is yours. It was awesome. Thank you. Uh, it's fun being on the other side. Um, <laughs> so in all, uh, in all your work with people over the years, what have you found to be the why for most people? As people come to you looking for advice on how to invest and, and, and allocate their assets across their portfolio, what's the why behind these, cho- these choices that people are making around their investments? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously the concern for for most people outside of people that have you know, a lot of wealth is how, how can this, how can I live on what I have or, or how, and, and not only that, can I make it last and can I create a legacy with that? And I think the why is more market related as far as why are there so many, you know, end of the world kind of events that keep popping up, if you will, because, you know, in the last 20 years, give or take, we've had three or four, call it, 
meltdowns, right? We had internet bubble in the early two, in the early 2000s. We then had great financial crisis in 2008. And then people forget we did have a European debt crisis in 2012. We had we had a, a pseudo energy you know crisis, if you will, in 2018. And then we had COVID in 2020. And I think it's really difficult for most people to understand why does this keep happening, and and what can I do to to your point about being able to ride these unfortunate events out and make really timely decisions when they're happening and not make the wrong decision. Because as we know, psychology, people always are making the wrong decisions at the wrong time, right? Last March and other cases like that, obviously that was the most extreme. People are always looking to sell and panic as opposed to doing what the opposite is at those times, which is usually to buy. And I think people are very, maybe they're frustrated. It's just, why does this keep happening? Um, and Again, it, it's our philosophy is it's it's too difficult to game risk, if you will, because these events are happening more frequently. So we find it's more efficient to really plan for uncertainty, if you will, and make sure that your your assets and liabilities are being matched so that that why you were just asking about doesn't keep people losing sleep at night. Completely. And going back to my days in the institutional world, from like an asset allocation perspective, it's always been so interesting to me how that losing sleep factor impacts asset allocation. And over the course of many years, that really matters. And uh, thankfully, the world has a lot of great folks like you who are able to, to, to help folks think through these, these really hard questions and keep them on the right path. Because all of a sudden, and it seems kind of small, like having the wrong asset allocation. Okay, so what? Well, all of a sudden you have people who spend their entire lives working really hard and right. saving what they can, but because their asset allocation might have not been the right fit for, you know, 30, 40, 50 year time horizon, they have a much smaller uh, nest egg than they might otherwise need. And, and that's, that's hard. That's hard when, you, when you're 30 years, 40, 50 years down the road, looking back, that's hard. And it, it's... Um, it's one of the things that, that's so amazing, just beyond FinTech, about the finance world more broadly, that um, we ultimately have the opportunity to build products and help people in a way um, to ultimately set them and their families up on a, on a path for um, enormous uh, opportunity and hopefully uh, prosperity. Agreed, yeah, I, I, I think that does it. that's an important point. And I hope, you know, we hope to, not necessarily avoid the why, but try to mitigate the why. Um, you know, literally it was on a phone call uh, about an hour or two ago. And in this particular uh, prospective client astutely, you know, you know, understood that, you know, my fixed income is not doing anything. And that's such an enormous, I don't know, let's say we're a problem, but issue that most people are facing right now and will continue to face because that piece of your portfolio that historically was ballast, that historically was not volatile, that historically provided income is not like it used to be. And that's, that's a challenge that, you know, I, I happily face every day and, and we have to figure out how to overcome that as best as possible. Um, 
Yeah. And yeah, I mean, one of the things to just share going back to the, the behavior piece for a second, when you think about kind of this next generation of financial product, and especially with cashless participation, what we ultimately want to do is help change behavior in a way where without taking on additional risk, people can have more opportunity. And what that leads to, um, in our case, at least, is people that use cashless participation are half as likely to withdraw from their company stock plan, those who don't, even though they make about 20% less money, which is just a complete game changer. And and um, I'm really excited for for the next chapter of uh, of certainly what what we're building, but also what the ecosystem is building, um, because there's so much opportunity uh, I think to still be had, uh, and there's so much impact that we as a community can make, um, and just uh, really excited to to do it with amazing folks like you and and others in um, in the fintech ecosystem. Well, I appreciate that and you as well. Thank you. I mean, that was uh, tremendous. And you know, I really have enjoyed the time today with you. And I, I'm like you said, I'm really excited to keep following what you guys are working on. Uh, you know, like you said, the ecosystem is full of amazing entrepreneurs and, and better people. I, I think that's the one, uh, if there's been one common theme through my uh, my interviews with with other founders, it's they're just they're great people and they want to make a difference. And if you have that, that kind of, that's infectious. That spills over to, I'm sure, you know, all your 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 colleagues and your your employees that are working with you. And only great things will come from that. So uh, I appreciate that. So I always like to include uh, conclude my episodes with one piece of actionable advice. Um, thank you again for your time today. It was amazing to learn about you and your and your startup. And uh, look forward to, like I said, look forward to continuing to to follow. But yeah, if there's anything else you could offer, uh, that would be tremendous. Thank you. I, I, I'll, I'll offer two pieces of, of advice. Number one, get a notebook and a marker and start drawing. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy, but when I say draw, draw your ideas out. Uh, figure out how, how the dots connect. Um, because I think especially uh, for those of you out there who might be aspiring entrepreneurs, I think what you'll find is when you start drawing out your ideas and figure out how the lines connect, um, it becomes a lot more tangible, especially in the fintech world where it's not really tangible sometimes when you draw it out. I think that'll make it a lot more actionable for you as you think about building your companies. And two, there's never a right time to start a company where everything's perfect. There, you're, you might not, uh, you might be too busy, might not have enough money, be unsure. There's never going to be a right time. So just do it. And I, I know it's hard to say, but the easiest way to do it, and technology has gotten there so quickly, buy a domain name and stand up your corporate email address, whatever it is. You can change the name down the road, um, but a lot of times that, that hardest step is the first one and just making it actionable um, makes it a lot easier. So um, draw your ideas out and then stand up a corporate email address for whatever potential name your new company might be. So you start feeling like you're at a real company. Um, and then one day it'll hit you that, um, especially as you keep building the team, that uh, you're going to be on an amazing journey with some amazing people um, that much like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, they all started somewhere. So um, 
go for it. And uh, I'm excited for, for, all, for all of your listeners out there. Uh, I'm excited to tune in and listen to, uh, to folks one day who have been on the show uh, who have taken action as well. So um, thanks again for having me on. This has been amazing. Um, and uh, looking forward to, to hearing all the uh, amazing success stories to come. Thank you, Aaron. That was, that was tremendous. Thank you again for your time today. And 100% right, you know, again, not to keep hitting on the same point, but these the founders that I've had on, that I've been fortunate to, to meet with, many of them started this a year ago at the, like you're, to your point, I mean, there was probably not a worse time, hypothetically, to start something like the last March or April, but it's amazing to hear how a lot of those ideas may have already been on the notebook, but they got started during may june july and now you're hearing these stories a year later of of fundraises and and launches so to your point it happened so thank you for that and i'd say one more one more uh just secret of the fintech world uh to leave everyone with there is no secret playbook hiding somewhere uh that has answers to all of these questions everyone has their own unique path and unique journey in building a company um so don't be scared to make mistakes because there's no playbook for how this is done. Um, so go for it and, uh, and have fun along the way. Absolutely. Aaron, thank you again. Really appreciate it. This was a fantastic time. Can't wait to share this with, uh, with all, everyone out there, you know, good luck to you and your team and, you know, we will stay in touch. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks. You really appreciate it. Thanks everyone for being here. We'll be back with another episode of Money Talks next week. Remember to like and subscribe on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again next week. This is Money Talks. Take care.